Today's reading is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 20 to 36. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said that an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Thank you, Luella, very much. Um, I'd just like to think that, uh, I remember that you're in Fort William in Scotland. And as you look up, you can just about see the top of Ben Nevis. And uh, you think this is a window of opportunity to climb the highest mountain in the UK. Um, just quietly ignoring the fact that there's a saying in Fort William that if you can see the top of Ben Nevis, it's about to rain. And if you can't see the top of Ben Nevis, it is raining. But windows of opportunity. Uh, there are windows of opportunity at the moment, aren't there? If you've got an apple tree in your garden, as we have, there are loads of apples in the tree, and they regularly fall down on the ground and get bruised and so on. So it's a window of opportunity to, uh, to pick things before, uh, before they, uh, they fall off and get bruised. Or say you're in a harbor and it's high tide, and there's a window of opportunity at that point in order to sail and have sufficient uh, depth of water under the keel. Well, this morning we're returning to John's Gospel. It's been an age since we were last in John's Gospel. And we're going to look in this particular passage today. And then next week is harvest. And then next month is our mission month. But we will come back to John's Gospel in November time. And uh, if, if you're thinking of today, well, it's a bit of a one-off ser uh, sermon. Well, actually, we're looking at the cross and this is a really good passage, if it were just a one-off sermon. And it's a great window of opportunity, I should say, to, uh, uh, to think this. Believe in the cross of Christ while you still can. Let's pray together. 
Father, please, would you open our hearts and minds to your words this morning. And please help us to believe in the cross of Christ with this opportunity we have now for Jesus' sake. Amen. Ben, do you think you get some water? Because I forgot to put some here. I have a sort of comfort blanket up here. It's called a glass of water, except I forgot this morning. So uh, anyway, believe in the cross of Christ while you still can. Now, John chapter 12 and verses 20 to 36 is in many ways a bit like a hinge in John's gospel. So far in John's gospel, Jesus has consistently been saying, for instance, wedding in Cana of Galilee, my time has not yet come. And it is really quite striking when you look in verse 23 and Jesus replies to those who have come to him and he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Great, thank you. You can take cuddly toy away as well. (laughs) The Son of Man has come, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is the central point of history coming up. The central point of history. Uh, Stephen Neal, great missiologist and bishop, said this. In the Christian theology of history, the death of Christ is a central point of history. Here, all the roads of the past converge. Hence, all the roads of the future diverge. The central point of history. And it's as if Jesus is saying, uh, guys, the, the time is come. And now the time's up. A bit like if you're taking an exam, the invigilator says, right, time's up. Stop writing. And Jesus is saying here, well, or John is saying here, well, the time's up for Jesus. The time's up for Israel. The time is up for the devil. And the time is up for all who reject Jesus. The time's up. Or if you like, the time has come to believe in the cross of Christ while you still can. This is a window of opportunity. A window of opportunity to understand the Christian message. Uh, Martin Luther Reformation guy said this, if you want to understand the Christian message, you must start with the wounds of Christ. So our focus is the cross of Christ. And uh, uh, there are six things I want to say this morning. We're going to go fairly uh, quickly and speak of each one of them fairly briefly. Um, uh, But there are six things in this passage. And the first one of them is this. The cross of Christ was glory, which is a very strange way to think of your death, isn't it? The cross of Christ was glory. Look at verse 23. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Isn't that very strange? Um, And then uh, verse 28. Father, glorify your name. And he's talking about his own death, bringing glory to himself and to his Father. What a strange thing. Because the cross was absolutely barbaric. We know that, don't we? I mean, we think the Taliban are bad. But they don't crucify many people. And this was a form of torture that led to death. I mean, it gives us our word excruciating, doesn't it? Crucifixion, excruciating, comes from the same root. And yet, Jesus says, verse 23, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, what do you mean by Jesus, by the time, the time has come for me to be glorified? Well, a guy called Charles Ryrie said this, what is the glory of God? It is the manifestation of any or all of his attributes. In other words, it is the displaying of God to the world. Thus, things which glorify God are things which show the characteristics of his being to the world. 
All right, it's a simple brain me. I, I just like to say, well, uh, the glory of God is what God is really like. So when Jesus says the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, he's saying the time has come for actually for us to show the world what I'm really like, for us to show the world what my Father is really like. It is the greatest revelation of Jesus Christ to the whole world and for all time. At the cross, we see what Jesus is really like. And it is clear as well that he has this this determined desire for God's glory. And you see that when he shrinks back from the cross here. So look at verse 27, for instance. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. I could say that, but no. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. It's for this very reason I came to this world, that I might die for you. And he says, Father, glorify your name. Jesus had this overriding determination that this would be something that he was going to carry through and that the world would, he's not going to, he is shrinking back from it, but he will go through with it. And he wants the world to see and to know and to understand what he is really like, what God our Father is really like. So if you want to understand Christianity, go to the cross. If you want to understand what God is like, go to the cross. If you want to understand what the love of God is like, go to the cross. If you want to understand the depth of your own depravity, go to the cross. Which means, of course, that if you're talking to anyone about your faith and say this church, and they say, oh, what do you believe? You want to talk to them about the cross. You want to talk to them about Jesus, and you want to talk to them about the cross. So why not practice in front of a mirror or something like that, but just work, for your, work it through yourself so that, so that it's clear, you have it clear in your own mind what it was about, that Jesus died for us, that he took our place, that he bore our punishment, that he was punished in our place so that we may be forgiven, so that we may both go free, so that we may have our guilt removed. And yet at the same time, it's extraordinary. This is where we really see who God is. We see his love and his forgiveness and his glory at the cross, best of all. So we're seeing, first of all, the cross of Christ was glory. Second thing to say here, the cross of Christ was a sowing. So look at verse 24. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, we all know about sowing seeds, don't we? Maybe as children, you know, you put some crest seeds on some blotting paper. Uh, maybe you've done it with your own children or with grandchildren. Um, uh, last time, uh, lockdown time last year, some kind person on the Holmes Avenue uh, dropped off little flower pots with um, a little sunflower uh, seedling coming up. Uh, and there were a lot of folks uh, had big sunflowers growing as a result of those. Uh, just little sunflower seeds growing to something huge. And there are a lot of sunflowers around at the moment we can see, aren't there? We have rather dilapidated sunflowers in our back garden. Thank you, squirrels. Love you. And, uh, um, but this year, 
uh, this, this year, for the first time ever, um, I planted potatoes. I'm not going to tell you, um, so I'm not going to go through a great big list of things I've grown in life, but, uh, um, but potato, but they are a bizarre crop, aren't they? But the thing is, you know, we bunged some seed potatoes in and did, had no idea what to do. And, uh, and in the end, when do you dig them up? I don't know. And, uh, and in the end, we had rather a good crop and what fun. And Jesus says, my death is a sowing. It seems to be the ends, as you might think it is when you plant a seed potatoes in the ground. What on earth could come of this? But actually it produces a crop. It's a beginning. It seems to be destruction, but actually it is the, 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 the start of new life. It seems to be a defeat, but actually it's a wonderful victory. It seems to be a closing, but actually it's an extraordinary opening to new life. Jesus' death is the start of something new and extraordinary. It's a sowing, he says. He talks about himself. He says, effectively, I'm, I'm just a little grain of wheat put into the ground, put into the grave. But actually, a little grain of wheat that will produce much fruit. Because it's in his death that he brings life to many. It's through his death that he brings life for us. So when Jesus died... We know he bore our punishments. We know he bore our penalty. So that we may live now. And so that we may have a great hope for the future. With Jesus in heaven. So the cross of Christ was a sowing. It was a, a death that there may be life. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful victory it was in that. The third thing is the cross of Christ was a pattern. A pattern. In other words, something for us to, to follow in terms of our own lifestyle. That's verses 25 and 26. Um, and the pattern here is as Jesus, so his disciples. As Jesus, so us. It's a good principle of the Christian life. And you can see it there, that, that pattern in verses 25 and 26. Verse 25, anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. The only way to have life in eternity is to lose our life now. We see it in Jesus. We see it in Jesus' disciples. We are to imitate Jesus. So Augustine said, you would perhaps be ashamed to imitate a lowly man, then at least imitate a lowly God. A lowly God who went to a cross for us, for you and for me. But what did Jesus mean by verse 25? Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Does that mean we have to just hate everything about now? Does that mean we can't appreciate, for me actually, I like the rain? Does it mean I can't, I can't actually, I must stop liking the rain and for most normal people, the sunshine and so on? Does it mean we can't appreciate beautiful music or lovely countryside or a beautiful painting or sporting skill? Does it mean we can't enjoy lying on the beach or watching a great storm out at sea and so on? Well, John Calvin helps us. He said this, whoever is over addicted to the present life loses his life. That is, he casts it to overwhelming ruin. 
I'll say that again. Whoever is over addicted to the present life loses his life. That is, he casts it to overwhelming ruin. So we don't hate life absolutely because there are many good things about life. And uh, we should be prepared to lay down things cheerfully, though, when it, when it hinders access to Christ. We despise life insofar as it does hinder our access to Christ. So what, therefore, could hinder our living for God? What would be the things that we, we should really be glad to be able to lay down? Well, it vary from person to person and time to time, won't it? Maybe you're on a stage of life of great partying on a Saturday night, which means you're not actually here at the moment. You're watching this online. Or maybe you're watching it a recording later on. Or maybe you'll be here tonight. Or maybe you've, got a, you've just bought a new house and it's just taking up all your time and attention. Your latest DIY project in the garden and so on. I've got a very good friend, bought a new house took over his life. I mean, another those things that we talk about uh, start off bad. You know, maybe DIY, not a bad thing. Is it home, not a bad thing? Maybe it's your own fitness, which uh, actually takes you away from Christian things, your drive for fitness. But that's not a bad thing, is it? Party is not a bad thing. But what if they hinder access to Christ? Then they become a bad thing, don't they? And we might need to address that issue. A young man had an addiction to computer games. They were hindering his Christian life. Uh, apparently, these new computer games these days, you have to have a pretty fast computer. He sold it. He downgraded to something deliberately slow. And he sold all his games. A young couple set themselves a spending limit for their holidays and gave away their money and... Uh, uh, gave away the money they'd saved to give to the Barnabas Fund, which supports persecuted Christians. A couple of young student friends decided they need to be in bed by 11 p.m. so they could be up in the morning to read the Bible and pray, and they kept each other to it. That was me and my mate Nick. This cross-shaped living, it's the pattern of the cross, glad and willing sacrifices, which aren't really sacrifices at all, serving Jesus. And my Father will honor the one who serves me. So the cross of Christ was glory, it was sowing, it was pattern. Um, it was deliberate, it's the fourth thing. It's deliberate. Verses 27 and 28, uh, as, as Jesus wrestles with this, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was this very reason I came to this hour. So I've come. Father, glorify your name. So let's, let's banish any thought or every thought that Jesus' death was a mistake or a failure or a disaster or a, a prime example of the best laid plans going horribly wrong. No, it was deliberate. Jesus' death was deliberate. Jesus' death was part of God's overall plan for achieving his glory. So in verse 27, when Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. That word troubled is a really strong word. It shows revulsion. It expresses horror 
anxiety, agitation. Not that Jesus was uh, horrified. I mean, some have said it was Jesus being horrified that the disciples wouldn't stand the test and they wouldn't be able to stand for it. No, don't believe that for a moment. Jesus is shrinking back from the physical, emotional, mental, spiritual agony of crucifixion. And that is why in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he died, as he was looking ahead to the next morning and his crucifixion, he was sweating blood. Such was the dread of it in his mind and heart. I wonder what have you, what, what have you most dreaded in life? Maybe a loved one's funeral. Maybe you're going to see a consultant because you don't know what they're going to say. Or maybe you do know what they're going to say. Maybe getting exam results because you're sure you've done really badly. Maybe it's going to school tomorrow because of the bullying that's been yours for months. Maybe it's going to uni for the first time. Or maybe it's going back to uni because last year was so rubbish. But I don't think any of us will have dreaded the manner of our own execution. And I know that none of us will have dreaded the prospect of standing under the wrath of God in someone else's place. As we are punished for the sins of the world. And that's what Jesus was dreading. The wrath of God poured onto and into his own life as he died for you and for me and for the sin of the world what determination what commitment to the glory of God to people seeing what God was really like what extraordinary commitment to you and to me and that's the reason why he came to the world that's the reason why he came to that moment in history I will die for the sin of the world. Father, glorify your name. Show the world what you're like. Show the world your nature, your extraordinary love, your wonderful justice, your mind-numbing mercy, your amazing grace. Cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. It was deliberate, wonderfully, and extraordinarily deliberate praise him for it and the fifth thing is by the way the last one is very brief so we're almost there but the cross of christ was rectifying or if you like restoring so look at verses 31 to 33 i i was just blown away when i understood this a little bit more deeply as i was reading this now is the time for judgment on this world now the prince of this world will be driven out and i when i'm lifted up from the earth in other words when i'm crucified will draw all people to myself he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die what will the cross of christ do judgment The devil will be driven out and destroyed and all people will be drawn to Jesus. The word judgment at the beginning of verse 31 is literally crisis. And there are a number of different possible interpretations of that. But I think John Calvin uh, perhaps understood it the best. No, not perhaps. I really think he did understand it the best. When he said um, judgment really means right ordering. It means putting it right. It means putting your books back on the bookshelves after after the, uh, the, the... the thieves have come it means uh, 
rectifying. It means restoring. It means a reboot. Jesus' death was the true beginning of the complete reordering of this world. Now is the time for the reordering of this world, and it begins at the cross. At the cross, God begins to put the world right. It's a process, of course, to be completed at Jesus' return, the second coming, it started at the cross, the cross where the devil was driven out. The devil was dethroned at the cross. The cross looked like the devil's victory. Actually, the cross was the devil's defeat. At the cross, Jesus lifted up to the throne of heaven. The devil was dethroned. At the cross, they thought it was uh, <clears throat> passing judgment on Jesus. Actually, it was Jesus passing judgment on the world. And when Jesus returns, and then all the devil and all evil will be utterly and forever destroyed, we will know that is because Jesus defeated him at the cross of Christ on Calvary's tree. And then Jesus says this third thing, when I'm lifted up on the cross, I will draw all people to myself. Now, it can't be literally all people. This isn't a, this isn't a universalist, you know, everyone becomes Christians in the end. It can't mean that because he said it in the context of judgment when he's clearly saying that some folks will, will not be there. Now, Jesus meant not all without exception, but all without distinction. So all people, without, without reference to type or heritage or background or class or uh, intelligence or whatever, drawn to Jesus and now part of the church and looking forward to being all together forever in a new heaven and a new earth. Happening, it will happen because of the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus rectified the world. He reordered the whole world forever. He made the new heaven and the new earth, the new creation, possible. Extraordinary. Believe in the cross of Christ. Believe in what it's done. Make your commitment to him, to that. Your understanding of it. Make it your passion to learn and to read. To get hold of John Stott's The Cross of Christ. Go to Books Alive. Buy that book, read that book. It's probably the best and most accessible one. There are plenty, hundreds of books on the cross, but I'd really recommend that one. John Stott, The Cross of Christ. It was glory, it was sowing, it was a pattern, it was deliberate. It was rectifying, reordering. And finally, and just very briefly, believe in the cross of Christ while you still can. Have a look at verses 34 to 36. It's a warning. Jesus is saying, actually, I won't be here forever. Your opportunity to believe in the cross of Christ will not go on forever. It won't last forever. Believe in the cross of Christ while you still can. Look at verse 36, for instance. Believe in the light while you have the light. He's saying, I'm the light. Believe in me while it's while I'm here. Take the opportunity so that you may become children of light. And then... As if, well, it was giving a visual aid of what he'd just said. Look at the end of verse 36. When he'd finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. 
you don't always have the opportunity. It's not here. There'll come a day when, you know, you won't have a tomorrow to be able to respond to Jesus. And also more than that, there is, there is this thing here that when Jesus is close, that's the time to respond. Don't say, oh, I'll think about it. No, don't do that. That's exactly what the devil wants you to do. When you have the opportunity to sort yourself out, when you have the opportunity to make sure you're right with God, now's the time. Not tomorrow. Actually, not this afternoon. This afternoon might be too late as well. Jesus is saying, look, take the opportunity while you still have it. Believe in the cross of Christ. And the things, maybe one or two things you've seen afresh, perhaps more deeply, perhaps have hit you more firmly this morning. Well, the time to respond is now. Right now. In your heart, your mind, in your soul. So we're going to pause. We're going to be quiet. And I'd love you just to say to Jesus, whatever you want to say to him, thank you. Or, Lord, I don't really quite understand all this. Please help me to find out more. Or, thank you that your cross was a, when you died, it was this complete reordering, sorting out of the world for all eternity. Thank you, I'm going to be part of that. Whatever you want to respond, we're going to be quiet, then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing the song, Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice. So let's, uh, Ben, just stay put for a moment. Let's be quiet, and then I'll pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you, and we praise you for the cross of Christ. Amen.